Hey everybody, welcome back to the College Football Uncensored podcast brought to you by Saturday Down South. I'm your host, Tyler Huck, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris Marler. Chris, we got a great show today with a fantastic guest, but first, how have you been, man? Well, you know, I'm just, my voice is still coming and going. Um, you know, week's been kind of tough. Uh, it's not the going I'm worried about. It's, it's, oh, wow. Remember? Wow. Great movie. Um, no, so I, uh, we, we got on here last week and, and like really just like praised Georgia fans and, and excited for the like natty form and, and genuinely meant that. And then like a day later, I got on Twitter and I was like, oh God, oh Jesus. Because um, I don't know, there was like a, a slight moment where like, or like, I don't know, 24 hours where I thought I was going to have to fight everyone on Twitter because of like the matchy, like I, just the excuses thing and all that. But other than that, doing well. I got a lot of feedback that uh, from Georgia fans that, that thought you were a little sour grapes. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Are you fucking serious? You're you're joking. You're that's that's got to be a fucking joke. Are you fucking kidding me? Who are you? I'm. Are you are you fucking serious? <laughs> I knew that would make you angry. Is that real? It is real. Are you? What the fuck? A little a little bit at the beginning, you know. They were saying like, uh, what? Well, hold on, hold on. Some excuse, what I have some, some excuse better? making, maybe. Okay, we're you know what we're gonna get into it. Fuck this. <laughs> I just like this. This makes me so fucking mad. I, first off, I didn't have a voice, and we decided to do the podcast. And I was genuinely excited for like for Georgia fans. Sour grapes. If, if you listen to that hour and fifteen minute podcast where I sat there and said I clapped for Sets and Bennett and did all these like, if your takeaway was that I was I had sour grapes. First off, stop saying fucking sour grapes because you're not fifty eight years old. Second off, like. I, like this, this really blew my mind with the whole excuses thing, because, because here's the deal. First off, I'm going to just, I'm going to be as, as real as possible here. If you're a Georgia fan and you're saying that Bama fans are making excuses and you're looking down on that, what the fuck do you think you've been doing with Tyler Simmons for four years? Like it's, it's the same argument. Like I, I, I don't think it would have, it meant we would have won the game. But if you don't think having your top two receivers out for who, who combined for over 53% of all of Bryce Young's production was a big deal, it was a big deal. And let me tell you, I, I know that somebody's like, well, we had all our receivers out, blah, blah, blah. Stop yelling at the, at the, at the iPhone or the steering wheel or whatever, because there's a big difference between losing somebody in the offseason and getting them back versus losing all of these players two starting cornerbacks, two starting receivers, an offensive lineman, and doing it in, in literally the last three games of the season when twice out of those three games you were going to have to play the greatest defense in college football history. I say all that not saying it would have made you know, a difference in Bama would have won. I, I just am blown away that – like I love you guys to death, but I'm blown away that that fan base – got so overzealous with the excuse making thing because I have been listening to this shit my entire life. And I, I am, I'm fucking pissed. I, I that like, I don't even want to do the show right now. I'm that. Oh, that really no, fucking no, 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 no. So that's like, and, and by the way, just because I was angry in my tone, what I just said, nothing about what I'm saying 
is like, these are all just facts. These are facts. We're a fact-based show. Just like it would have been different if Georgia would have had, I don't know, a fully healthy defensive line in the first game or like, you know, like didn't have to start a true, like not a true freshman, but I forgot who started in the the SEC championship. Like, like how would that, that offense had to overcome a lot, but they also got to do it and find their identity throughout the season. This is fucking bullshit. I'm so mad. Sour. Like I, I I honestly, fuck that. That makes me so mad. So I thought we were going to talk about getting over the natty. Maybe we're not, maybe we're not over it yet. No, like I, I can still talk about the game. And it's not like, like, People are, see, this is the problem. People are so quick to just think they have to be pitted against each other and they have to one up each other on social media. And it's constantly like getting dragged or, you know, calling somebody out. Like, you can't give an ounce of credit to any other team famous at all. You, you can't. Like, I, I don't, I, I said on here that I thought all the, the penalties were egregious. Every, I don't know what else I could have fucking, I don't know what else I could have done. And if you think that I'm going to do that ever again, Man, wow, you guys blew your fucking shot at me being nice. <laughs> That's like, what well, the fuck, you know, you man? Can't, you can't take it out on all Georgia fans. No, I'm not. And like, there's, there are so many people that, well, first off, who is it? I'll have to remember. I know you know who it is. And unless it's somebody <laughs> that I'm like friends with. Nope. Okay. Then that's no, like, your response is all I need to know. I don't think so. That's so fucking stupid. I just, I don't like, I don't, sometimes I don't even know what we're allowed to say after games. Like if I go, if I I picked Georgia in the preseason, I said they had the greatest defense of all time. I like went on and on and on about Stetson Bennett. I said they would win by 14 in the SEC championship game. Then said after the SEC championship, literally on Atlanta radio the next morning, that they would, they were still the best team in the country. Picked them again to win the natty after they got beat by Bama. What the fuck do you want me to do? What could I have done better? You just got to go full full praise. I I thought I did. <laughs> like, right. what, what are your expectations? I feel bad for whoever your fucking significant other is. Like that is what what are your expectations? Valentine's Day must be in Christmas. Do you get a pony every year? Me personally, I do, but man, that's not how I want to start the show, but I didn't know I would trigger you like this. It honestly, it was, I, I've said this so many times that I meant it. The way shit went last year, I, I, I was, I'm not patting myself on the back or anything like that, but I was honestly surprised that even with myself, that I was okay with it. It was cool. It was like fun to, to see like our friends, like, you know, be able to celebrate in that. I, I just, I don't know what I could have done better. And the, if the excuses thing, I don't, you, well, by we, the way, the excuses. Improve. If you're saying that I was making excuses, I literally didn't make an excuse for not having a fucking voice in the middle of having COVID and walking to money to to record this stupid podcast. No, it's not stupid. This is the greatest podcast that's ever invented. I know it's just one guy. I've just I've just gone off the rails, and it's just one <laughs> fucking dude that's never met me and probably wears a shit ton of sweater vests and and fucking half zips. I fucking name's probably like some yeah. Well, I mean, I love half zips, but like it's like a different half zip. For those that can't see the video, which is nobody, I'm wearing currently wearing a quarter zip. So you didn't say quarter zip. If if this guy, I I just guarantee you, he's just constantly fucking dressed head to toe in Peter Millar. (laughs) Probably drives a Tahoe. Damn, you're you're just describing me. No, I'm just kidding. I'll have Tahoe. 
Fucking sour grapes. I'm Get the fuck that. out of here. All right. So this is a great episode. Starting off a little off the rails, but you know, what kind of episode of college football and scissors would it be if it's not a little off the rails? You better name names after this this podcast. It was a neighbor of mine that doesn't know you. You're right. Yeah. Okay. What's his name? Just like, like well, can I guess? Can I guess? Like, is it something stupid like fucking Jace or like, I swear to God, if it's Brennan, if it's Brennan or Brendan, I'll show up in Woodstock and fight him on his front lawn. <laughs> Good. I hope you show up to Woodstock because that's not where I live. Um, so, where do you live, Cam? Yeah. Right, Anyways, get the fuck out of here. You're going to dox me here. You're going to give away my address soon. Um, Big episode. Great guest. You called it. If you're listening and you and you read the title of the episode, it's Josh Pate from Late Kick. Guy's a super nice guy. Can't wait for you guys to hear the interview. We went into a bunch of different stuff, whether it pertained to Darren Rovell and his MLK collection or um, actual college football news, like what's going on at Clemson. He dropped a little nugget that I, uh, I, th- I found interesting about Clemson that the coaches that he talks to, yeah. um, none of them think that Clemson is headed in a good direction long term. So interesting to hear his perspective on that and much more. So stick around for that. Um, but we will discuss some things quickly before we get to the paid interview. First things first, NFL draft declarations are happening left and right. I feel like a billion people from Georgia have declared for the draft. Um, I'm not going to comment on it. I like, I don't, you know, I'm just very neutral and that no, like, you know, we talked about this on the TV show today. I feel like a lot of people declared for the draft for them, but we're going to talk about it later with the transfer portal and who's winning that. I feel like you could make an argument that Georgia has probably had the best off season or like, you know, this window for the, the NFL draft declarations, of the people that didn't announce. I mean, like Nolan Smith coming back, Chris Smith coming back. Like they, I don't know why fucking uh, Camardo left. Jake Camardo left? I didn't see that one. It was either, I think it was him or it was uh, Pudlinski. Also Slade Bolden. Yeah, what's what's going on with that? I I assumed he was out of eligibility. Or, or like Bill O'Brien finally realized that he was like a Smurf with a receding hairline. Like I, I, I don't. Maybe he needs to get money quickly to buy Slade Bolden Chevrolet. That's fair. I that was that was surprising. Who, like so, who were your biggest? Who were your biggest takeaways from just the portal and NFL draft in general? No, just the draft declarations and and like any um, surprising players or any any. Winners and none, losers. none that really like totally shocked me. I mean, I definitely felt like Nolan Smith was probably he's undoubtedly good, but I think he could probably use another year to be hopefully yeah. be the guy for them. Um, wasn't shocked well, to see a mass quick, exodus from Georgia though, just because usually that happens when you get a title like that. Um, what I was gonna say about the, the Nolan Smith thing, the only reason it surprised me is because he's he's kind of underperformed considering what he was ranked coming in. But he was overshadowed so much this season because they're so loaded. The only reason I thought he would go pro is because he finished the season so well with, you know, like, you know, he had a sack in each of the playoff games, forced a fumble, like just it constantly, constantly in the backfield. By the way, they, uh, PFF came out with a stat that Georgia, 
I think that it was like pressured Bryce on like 41 of, of 57 attempts. Yeah, it was definitely much different than the first game. I'm not, I haven't looked into two total breakdown on the football side of things as what they did differently to generate pressure outside of, you know, there's, there were some yeah. obvious injury concerns for, for Bam on the O line, but, um, yeah. So Georgia, obviously, I wasn't too shocked to see that a lot of Bama players came back. I, you know, I feel like they're going to have kind of what we just, dis- we've discussed, um, a pretty damn good team next year. And I think a lot of people in that building probably believe that. So I wasn't too shocked to see some players, but you know, what's interesting is we talk about a lot about NIL and how, um, it can influence high school decisions. Um, I think NIL is starting to play a part in retaining players on the roster that may be not first round potential, but maybe like a third, fourth, you know, fifth round pick second or third. You know, I'm sure there's some NIL deals put in place to help retain some of these talents on these rosters. And I think you're seeing that um, in some areas across the sport. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's another reason why I was like, I don't think anybody in that game did enough to like kind of nudge Slade Bolden out the door. I would assume he, if he started last year with Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith, it doesn't fucking matter. Like it's, it's, it does at all. Um, I saw a, a Jai Hall announce he's coming back, which I think he was what deciding between the portal yet again and Bama. I'm not getting into this right now. That kid, um, <laughs> that kid had sour grapes. So no, like, like some Christian Harris going, I've seen some projections where he was a first rounder. I don't know if that's necessarily held true all season. I will say he played out of his fucking mind in in the postseason, especially in that national championship. He had three sacks in the national championship game. Um, Henry Toto and Jordan Battle coming back is huge. Uh, this is not me complaining or making excuses, but Jalen Armour Davis, uh, one of our starting cornerbacks, who was second team all SEC um, and was out, and they had to replace with a third string cornerback that gave up all the scores. He's, he's going too. So, um, in all seriousness, Bama loses Mechie. Jameson Williams and Slade Bolton, which were their top three guys for the majority of the year. Um, is there a belief at Bama that like those younger guys that obviously weren't seasoned enough to be able to step in in a game's notice, but they'll be able to have the same production that Bama's been used to at receiver the last few years? I mean, I don't think if, if anybody thinks that they're going to have the same kind of production, I mean, you're just not going to ever replace every single one of those guys had had something crazy unique about him. Henry Ruggs ran a four, two, seven, Jerry Judy had like the most ridiculous, you know, footwork and like cuts and all that kind of stuff. It, Waddle ran a four, two, five. And then also it was like, and then Devonta Smith just didn't, never dropped anything. So if, if they think that's going to happen, just like when Bryce leaves at some point, there has to be a drop off. Um, they, I mean, all five of those freshmen they brought in last year were top 100 recruits. And, and as you saw, um, I don't know if it was just the moment we see big form. I, like, there were a lot of drops. There was a, I've, we brought it up last week. There was a lot of contested passes or, comp- yeah, contested passes. It felt like Georgia's like corners and, and, you know, everybody in coverage was blanketing everybody on, on Bama's team. It was, it was just an incredible defensive performance. So I don't know, man. Like, I, I think, I, I mean, I don't know. 
I know the whole thing has been made about how Georgia had three of their four touchdowns scored from freshmen. Um, it would have been nice to see maybe some of those kids have more seizing during the year, but I don't know. It doesn't really matter either way. I think uh, Traylon Burks from Arkansas decided to go early. That's a no-brainer, first-rounder. Yeah. Kyrie Elam from Florida. Uh, Georgia, yep. Georgia thus far, I think, has six. So I've got... Uh, Nicobe Dean, John Fitzpatrick, I thought was weird. Tight end, George well, Pickens. Play. I didn't know how he had uh, NFL like pedigree, I, like I, where he could actually be like a pick. I don't know. Like, why would you? I, I don't know. Maybe like, I'm he's not, not going to come back and play for Brock Bowers and, and everyone else. Well, right. But there's also the transfer portal. I mean, uh, anyways, Zamir White, um, Trayvon Walker. Uh, I think this list is definitely expanded since this was put in yeah. because I saw some more today. Jamari Sawyer. Yep, Sawyer was in there. Uh, Quay, I think uh, Quay Walker and Channing Tindall. Yeah, I want to say both. So it's going to be obviously. You know, this is the next step for Georgia. Let's see if you can reload, like you know, Bama has tended to do. Uh, our boy Wendell Robinson. He left. He's gone. He left. See, that was that was gonna be interesting because he's definitely not a day one guy, and he would have probably made a lot of money with NIL. That's like a lot of money. I'll say this too, though. That's the one thing that Georgia's done an incredible job and a, and a better job than Bama has is Kirby just constantly, constantly rotating guys in that defense and and making sure like they were ready. You know, we brought it up last week with like the offense, Stetson you know, completed passes to nine different receivers in his last five games. So I, I think that even with the amount of people they've lost, there's still so much talent there, you know, right. Yeah. Um, the trailing Burks thing sucks. Arkansas also loses like 87 linebackers that have all been there since 2000. I think bumper pool somehow is coming back again. Are you serious? <laughs> I swear to God. Well, it was Grant Morgan. And then the yeah. other one, uh, Henry, but, um, I'm trying to think of who else that really stands out from around the SEC. Like, Will Levis announced that he was coming back. Interesting at Ole Miss. I mean, I know they get Zach Evans transferring in, but you lose Snoop Connor, Jerry Neely to the NFL, and Henry Parrish just transferred to Miami. Jerry Neely was the one that surprised me the most. Yeah, I I was surprised at how underwhelming of a season he had it, compared to what we were expecting from him. Uh, Makai Polk from uh, Mississippi State, as well as Charles Cross, who will be one of the top tackles taken in the first round. Um, let's see. Continuing down, Kevin Harris, South Carolina. He left? Yep. I picked Jaylen, a bad fucking time to get COVID and pneumonia. Like, Jalen Weidermeyer, Isaiah Spiller, Kenyon Green, DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M. Um, so yes, there's obviously like any other year, a lot of talent leaving the conference, but also a lot coming in. So, um, and Uh, we're, we're one, one person that's not going to be going to the NFL. I saw Evan Neal's going, well, he's going to be like a top five pick, but one, one person that's not going to be is, uh, Bill O'Brien because the Jaguars said that they are not going to hire him (laughs) as their head coach. So it's kind of like. I heard that news like he's coming back and it reminded me of that scene from Tropic Thunder when Matthew McConaughey is talking about his adopted son. And he's like, well, you know, at least you get to choose. I'm, I'm stuck with mine. <laughs> and that's Bill O'Brien. The, the other thing I thought was interesting was Kendall Bryles and, and uh, being 
offer the OC position at Miami. I thought that was yeah. a perfect fit with Lane. I mean, Lane, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, Cristobal? Yeah. And he turned it down, apparently. Is yeah. At least what the SB Nation writer at uh, Arkansas said. Um, Which says a lot about what Sam Pittman's doing there. Well, they're, they're one of the winners, in my opinion, in this whole transfer portal thing. They're getting some yeah. some really good players. They got the, the five-star DN from uh, from Bama. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a Hazelwood, a receiver. Yeah, they got Hazelwood. Yeah, I forgot about that. That was so early in the portal. It's, it's crazy how fast these things move. It seems oh like God. Hazelwood went in the portal six years ago. Yeah. Well, and the, and the thing is, too, like I, what impresses me most about – We'll get into the transfer portal stuff because there's this whole separate rankings for it. And um, what impressed me most, because like there were five SEC teams that made like the top uh, 10, I guess. And and uh, LSU was actually number one overall because they brought in 11 guys, got somebody else again today. Ole Miss was at three. Florida was at four. Um, and you had South Carolina, Arkansas, and I believe that's it, right? Mm-hmm. So what impressed me most about Arkansas was one, the fact that like legitimate five-star talent are they're choosing to go to Arkansas, even if it's a, you know, a transfer destination, but I mean, Hazelwood was the number one receiver in the country coming out of high school. And I just think it says so much about where that program was versus where they're at now. And it's really cool to see. Um, and so like if the positions they're getting, you know, big key losses, now they have, obviously elite talent to fill that. Uh, the other one was, I, I think just like the, the overall talent of, of like players that are coming now into the sec, like these five stars that you were surprised that didn't come to sec school, like Zach Evans. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to be like, at, you Jameer know, Gibbs. yeah. Although he wasn't a five star, but he was highly ranked. Um, I would imagine. Well, we'll see what happens with Jackson Dart, the SEC or the uh, USC kid, the quarterback. Yeah. Uh, he's right up there, ranked up there with Ewers and Caleb Williams. Those are the top three guys. And I know he vi- uh, he had plans to visit Ole Miss. I think he did. Um, yeah, it's well. This is not exactly shocking. I mean, we kind of knew when you open up the transfer portal to just transfer wherever you want, whenever you want. Don't have to sit out at least for the first time that a lot of schools in the SEC, you know, specifically the ones at the top of the conference were, were going to stand to improve their rosters yeah. even greater than they have through the high school ranks. Um, Ishmael Softshirt, he's at Southern Cal. He's a, he just entered the trench portal. He was at Bama like a year ago. Yeah, and he's from Louisiana, if I remember correctly. So yeah, that is that is true. You're seeing um, a lot of these kids transfer um, like back close to, closer to home. So that's something to remember when anytime you see these guys enter the portal, it's not always going to happen, but you're seeing it a lot. Yeah, and it's it's just crazy how like how much it's happening. Um, where else like around the SEC? So again, like LSU bringing in a, like Brian Kelly, just a terrible Southern accent, but at least. Obviously, really good at, at, at this part of the recruiting, uh, bringing in eleven guys. Um, I, I'm trying to look at like any notable people because because another thing that keeps happening is as soon as they get in the portal, it's like all of their rankings go down immediately, um, oh. which I don't really understand why. Uh, but yeah, like you know, Bama lost, like Hazelwood was like a 99, now he's a 92, or like like Spencer Rattler. Was a yeah, 
like five well, stars. It's, yeah, it's it, they change it because the, the the something has changed with their view of the player from when they were evaluated in high school. Whether it's baggage, whether it's how many years they have left, like yeah. Um, and some of these players have improved, like. You know, Florida State picked up a DN that is a high four star. He's a top ten player in the portal. He went to Albany. He wasn't even ranked coming out of high school. He went to Albany State. He went to University of Albany in New York. Oh wow! Okay, like FCS. So yeah, I mean, like they just do rank second. Yeah, well, we've been forced to hit the portal because Norvell doesn't have much time to start turning these things around. So he's trying to get older players. Yeah. Um. And that's it's gonna be interesting, you know. I meant to ask Josh Pate this when we interview him uh, that you guys will hear coming up, but you know, you saw Mel Tucker do this at Michigan State. I wonder if you're gonna start seeing teams, especially like new coaches that come in that are already screwed with the early signing period, and they know yes. that their first signing period is completely screwed. Um, I wonder if you see teams that legitimately rebuild via the portal. Yeah, I mean, like, so it, this is, and it's so common. In, in other sports, like baseball was huge in terms of like when, when our coach came in, we had, we just weren't, we, we had two guys get drafted in the top four rounds of the major league baseball draft, like on the same pitching staff. And we were, I think 15 and 15 in conference that year. And the first thing he did was go out and get a bunch of Juco kids that have, you know, came in with experience, have already played, you know, it's like, you know, also came from a winning background. That's, that's how Sideshow Rich came down to, to Milledgeville and, and my best friend Jeff and all those guys. So you see it a lot with baseball. I think that's exactly what you're going to see with, uh, with like new coaches. And, and the other part of it too is now there's just, there's, since there's no guarantees that even when you bring in these recruits that they're going to stay. I mean, like think about all the time and, and like resources you're investing into high school kids that are, are leaving at just an alarming rate. It, like I saw one article that it was 1,400 players had entered the transfer portal as of August, from August 1st. And that was on January 3rd. I don't even know how many it would be now. And, yeah. um, but no, so the only thing I was gonna, I wanted to talk about with it was there's like rumors that JT Daniels was gonna enter the portal. Mm-hmm. I think I saw like one Instagram handle, and this is fucking classic, was like, JT Daniels has entered the transfer portal. And then like his caption was, it is rumored that JT Daniels might potentially enter the transfer portal. <laughs> so from everything I've heard, like in Athens, he was at a team meeting today, but you brought up Jackson Dart. If you're JT Daniels and you like, I would probably leave to be on the safe side. Um, I, I just don't see, like, I don't know what they're going to do with Stetson Bennett. Uh, next year, but Ole Miss seems like a perfect opportunity for that kid. Yeah, if they don't get Jackson Dart, <clears throat> well, exactly. But I mean, like, I mean, if you're weirdly if you're, both USC kids, I don't know, man. I don't know if I, I've I've been pretty, I've stayed. My opinion has stayed that there's something more to the story with JT Daniels than just like he was just injured and then we rolled with the hot hand. Yeah, I think something off, and that's total speculation, by the way. I haven't heard anything about that. It's just something seemed off about that whole situation this year with him. Underground um, dogfighting, probably, or like a gambling ring or black yeah. market sales of something. 
I could see him going back west. Uh, maybe not to USC, obviously, because I think Caleb Williams will go there. But he already did. Uh, he will. I don't think he's actually officially committed there yet, unless he did today and I missed it. No, it's a prediction. I hate that so much. <laughs> I mean, his his former teammate Mario Williams, who said he was going to play his college football with uh, Caleb Williams wherever he went, is committed to USC. So I think right. it's only a matter of time. Um, but I could I think you could see JT going back out west. So. Interesting, yeah, I can agree with that. I, th- I think just looking at it as a whole, you look at I did a little deep dive on the amount of players that have left since January 1st alone. And by the way, you brought up the two USC quarterbacks in the portal. Keaton Slo- Slovis is also in it. Yeah, you went to Pitt, I saw. Yeah. Um, but no, like, you know, since January 1st, you know, Bama's lost nine. And then you have Mississippi State, Auburn, Arkansas. Um, I'm trying to think who else. They all lost six. But how about some of these teams like Florida, A&M, um, and granted, this is only from January 1st, but Florida, A&M, Kentucky, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out like with like just one and, and just one since Billy Napier's got there and, and South Carolina with, with none. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that speaks to, well, you can look at that two ways. I mean, I think coaches are obviously using this to their advantage as well and saying, look, I'm evaluating my roster. These guys are not going to be playing for me, so I'm going to encourage yeah. them to hit the portal. Not necessarily people entering thinking like, "Oh man, this is a you know this is a bad culture. I don't want to be here." I like, and I just use Florida State as an example. I think there's plenty of put, seeing the players that have hit the portal for Florida State. I'm fairly confident they were encouraged to hit the portal. Yeah. Um, and so you could look at a Florida and be like, well. <clears throat> Maybe he like he loves the roster. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now he is bringing a lot of players in from um, from Louisiana um, Lafayette to join him there. So that should be interesting because they were all conference players, but that's the Sun Belt, you know. It, yeah. I don't know if you want to rely. Like I don't know how good those players are. Obviously, I haven't watched tape on an O lineman from Louisiana, but it made a know, lot of news. I know that all us all Sun Belt. You know how's that going to look going against Georgia's D line? Like I don't. I don't know if that, so that's it. You know, it's good that it's clear that those players want to play for him, which is a good sign if you're a Florida fan, but I'd almost look at it the other way and say like, maybe not in Shane Beamer's case, but for Florida, like, Hey, like we should be encouraging some of these players. Like there's a reason why we weren't doing as well. There's probably some dead weight on the roster. Um, Maybe you want to turn that over quicker, but I don't know. You know, and the the other part of it too is like, Drew Sanders was kind of surprising to me, but Bama's kind of loaded at that position. Like, I mean, he's a, linebacker that plays outside linebacker Mm -hmm. i don't see him you know playing over uh any any of the guys that bam have coming back but like i get i get very skeptical of people that that transfer from bama why because i to me if they were good if saban thought they were good enough they wouldn't be transferring like they would find a way to keep the kid on the roster Am I crazy, but besides Jalen Hurts, is there anyone that's really panned out? That's what I'm saying. Like yeah, the guy that Florida State Bush, got from so- the, the guy that Florida State got from Bama a couple years ago before the transfer portal, transfer portal even existed when he had to like sit out. I think his name was Adonis Thomas. Do you remember that name? Is he a linebacker? Yeah. Yeah. He was awful. Yeah. And we everyone was excited. It's like, oh, we got this Bama linebacker. He was terrible. Right. And I just think that, you know, whereas before you always hear about saving, make the numbers work out and 
kindly basically telling people to leave. Like, I think that unless he's losing a handle on his roster, I don't think that Bama loses players that are of significant caliber that they would want to keep. I think he would do his best to keep him. I was like, Jillo Billingsley, who... Yeah, he was in the doghouse. Well, yeah, for, for something that happened before the season. But he also was like so inconsistent. So when he left immediately... I mean, that kid would be like uh, supposed to be like an all world type talent, but him going to Texas, that's the other part of this too, which is the, the two things that I love seeing out of this is when you have coaches leave and like, sometimes you have a bond like with that coach. I remember like, you know, I was not a great college baseball player, but like I, one of our assistant coaches thought I could have been if I, you know, I had the potential to, and he left in my, after my first year, second year, to go become like a coach at a JUCO in Iowa. And he offered me a scholarship to go. And I was like, I don't know if I can go to Iowa. But I mean, like I thought about it and you talk about Sarkeesian going to Texas and, and maybe Billingsley, like I'm sure that he got along better with Sarkeesian than Bill O'Brien because anybody would. And, and he'll probably flourish in that offense. And the other thing too is you see so many of these kids, like you brought up the kid from Albany. It was a kid from Western Kentucky. Mm-hmm. All these kids that have like really performed, they were kind of overlooked in high school. And now they kind of get a, a shot at that coming to like the best conference in, in the country. It's just cool, man. It's a cool opportunity. Yeah, there's some good players transferred into the conference and and honestly within the conference. I mean, so obviously you've got the big name uh Eli Ricks, you know, going from LSU to Bama. You've got Georgia Tech running back Jameer Gibbs going to Bama. But then you also have you know, Drew Sanders going to Arkansas. You've got uh, Makai Wingo going from Missouri to LSU. Yeah. Um, what about uh, Noah Kane? I know he's out of conference, but coming to Penn, from Penn yeah, State. Coming to, yeah, from Penn State going to LSU. Uh, so, again, a guy coming back home to his home state. Uh, you got Max Johnson going from LSU to A&M, which is yeah. interesting. Um, I mean, it's crazy. It is, it'll only get crazier, I'm sure. We don't have to get, you know, yeah. too much into it because it's, it's so hard to keep up with. But, um before we get to the Josh Payne interview, we're in the off season. We are. So it's time to bring something back, which is the uncensored moment of the week. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been a minute. It has been um, a minute. I feel like well, we I mean, forgot we, about our old times. We, we, I mean, we, I kind of feel like we talk, we start the Josh Payne interview with it. That would be my uncensored moment of the week is Darren Ravel going off the the rails on Twitter yesterday about his MLK collection because someone called him a racist and it just spiraled. And my man, when you talk about digging yourself your own grave, like continuously just taking the shovel and just piling it back into the dirt and just digging the hole deeper, my man just exuded that yesterday on Twitter. Yeah. Being labeled a racist on Twitter is never fun. Um, Tennessee fans did that to me a couple of years ago, but I will say the, the like number one, rule and like the first step in the PR process of not being labeled a racist is not ever saying out loud. I have black friends. Yeah. Um, this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so I actually had three, uh, and we'll breeze through them. But the first one, Saban apparently reached out to the governor of West Virginia about some voting rights bill, which of course sparked a whole bunch of shit with, you know, people, need to stick to sports and, and get politics out of it. I haven't heard, I haven't read anything of it. I haven't watched a single minute of CNN or the news or Fox news since the breakup. Cause it was on in the house all the time. But I will say this, Kristen got a, a DM from somebody that's 
that follows on Instagram that said, tell your pops to stick to fucking football. And his avatar or and profile pic was literally of Nick Saban. So like, if you're, I just want to set some ground rules if we're going to do the stick to sports thing. Cause I don't believe in the stick to sports, like being an actual feeling. I just think people want you to say things they agree with. Right. So if you have a picture of that person as your avatar, you probably don't get to talk shit about them. Right. Um, also, if you live in a state Fair where rule you, to live, you off, want live Nick Saban to say out of politics, but you elected Tommy fucking Tuberville as a senator, probably also want to sit this one out. I mean, I just, we, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it. We're not going to get into politics. I just think it's so stupid because it's like, dude, it, I, I like it. Maybe I'm just because it's it's saving, but I just kind of err on the side of whatever decisions he's making are probably smarter than the ones I would have made. So I'm not going to question it. But um, that happened today. And then the other thing was, and this wasn't a, a politics thing. Kayvon Thibodeau. There's oh, there's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. one rule on Twitter every day. Don't be the main attraction and the trending topic on Twitter. Yeah, especially when you're like about to enter the NFL draft. Kayvon Thibodeau <laughs> went on during the national championship game with Joel Klatt. It, like you saw it. Like, what are, yeah. first off, what were your thoughts? Because I was a little bit more biased in my response. Yeah. Um, you know, clearly the guy is just talking. First off, he was probably fed that line by Oregon, honestly. There's no way. Um, and then secondly, like clearly the guy's just speaking in, in, in biases, which we we know like everyone cancels you for that these days. Yeah. Um, so basically it was implying that people from the South are dumber than people from the West coast. And you know, there's just a lot. He wouldn't have graduated from Bama. Hmm. He wouldn't have graduated yet from Bama. He, that was one thing he said, which is shocking oh, to right. me because, um, it, like, yeah, I get the whole bias thing. What cracked me up was so I've heard about him from Chuck Smith and and he flat out said he's worked with him before. He does like the whole pass rush thing and he flat out said a couple of weeks ago before this happened, just you know, uh, unprompted. Passing, he, was, yeah. he was like, "This kid doesn't like football. Yeah, like he just it's just not it. Like he just always played it because he's so good at it." Um, and it, I love the I, he does seem like a smart kid and and like he's in that peak age where you are learning all these things in college and you want to talk about the world and shit. But the moment he said, can I give you a perspective? I was like, Oh, I'm in, this is going to yeah, be a yeah. fucking train wreck. And to watch Joe, Joe Clyde, Clyde like, just sit there. He's just like, Oh God, what do I do? Well, and like, but he didn't do anything. He yeah, disagreed yeah. with it. And I think it spoke volumes of how Fox <laughs> runs their whole fucking show, but he just went on and on. And the whole thing about like, I, you know, it was very telling when he said he wanted to associate himself with brands because yeah. football is an American sport. That part, I feel like he understands like his future. Um, yeah, I also- I, yeah, I totally agree with you, by the way. So just so uh, I can throw some input in here, I'll never forget when he was a recruit. <clears throat> he was, um, that was Taggart's first year at Florida State and he was coming from Oregon. And so they had that relationship. They made him the number one priority. They actually got him to come out to Tallahassee. I think he's from California. Yeah. And he was, um, before it was cool, considering there's a there's an HBCU in Tallahassee, FAMU. Yeah. 
And he was considering going there because, it, like, the whole Travis Hunter thing, like, he wanted it to be about him, like, the brand, like, I'll be the brand of HBCU. Right. He was thinking that way in high school. Um, and I'm not saying there's yeah. anything wrong with that. It's just a no, mentality cool. that, and, and I'll be honest, I was having this conversation with someone, and it, it may sound controversial, but I look at him, I look at a guy like Travis Hunter, it's commendable that you made the decision you did. But when you go into an NFL, into the NFL draft, and these executives who are about to spend millions of dollars um, are going to draft you, possibly, it. I think in times like that, it may be viewed as a negative. So that you made the decision about you and what could prop your brand up versus like. And I don't know if that's why Travis Hunter did it, but but Thibodeau came off as very very conceited and yeah. like excited to share his opinion over whatever Joel Klatt was saying, which is one reason I think he kind of shut down. I, just, I think that he honestly assumed that his opinion was just going to be widely accepted. Like, yeah, of yeah. course, Oregon is way better than Alabama. Like I think By he way, spoke Oregon like is, is tied as in terms of university rankings from us world news tied with Auburn at a hundred or 99. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it just, he seemed like a kid. I tell you, what, the the concerning part for me was afterwards when he was tweeting about it. Like his tweets just showed that he was even dumber because it, the whole thing was like. First, obviously, had a, a stigmatism. Oh, like yeah, stigma. that was that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but he also he, he afterwards he was tweeting about like something along the lines of like you know I at least I got y'all talking. That was the point, and like gave like the the guy pointing to his head, like, you know, like chestnut checkers, like, like he intended to make all these mistakes when he opened his mouth, which clearly did not happen, but, um, all right. Last but not least Stetson Bennett. Good morning, America. Beautiful. That was sets like post natty Stetson Bennett is fucking great. He seems like he doesn't have a care in the world that they won the championship. He doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> like, like, honestly, there's not a person in America, even Joe Burrow, there's not a person in college football over the past couple of years that could or should have bigger dick energy than Stetson Bennett right now. <laughs> like, for, like the entire world counted him out. He was working at Raising Cane's uh, like the weird. next week. Yeah. Trolling Bama, yeah. drinking uh, Pappy out of the bottle. Yeah. Like. It was very clear he did not go to sleep the night before, which I would never judge somebody about. Um, it, yeah. He did look like he was severely dehydrated. So I I heard him. Uh, he went on kind of like a little circuit uh, the following week when he'd had time to kind of come down from that. And um, he told uh, one particular interview I listened to that basically, yeah, like he admitted he was like, yeah, I mean, I'd been, he didn't say he'd been up drinking, but he was like, I mean – we won the national championship late and we obviously we were all celebrating and then you got to get up and be ready for that show by like 6 a.m. Right. So it had been literally, you know, a couple hours since they had like all scattered and um, he was like, plus he's like, I, I didn't, I couldn't see the people on the other side of the camera or myself. I was just looking at a camera. So he was like, I had no idea I looked like that. Like just <laughs> not a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and you know, he was going into that with some like actual confidence and was like, yeah, 
yeah, I probably look good right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, honestly, I love it, man. I love it. You know, like, even like the troll and Bama stuff, it's it's hilarious. And that kid, man, I, I don't know if he should ride off under the sunset and call it quits because I don't know if he's ever going to be able to top this, but it is just continues to be fucking hilarious. So that's all. Yeah, I love it. Well, let's get to the interview with, with Josh Pate. Really enjoyed this. Um, I personally think that Josh is one of the better college football guys out there right now. Um, and so it was great having him on the show. Go through a litany of things, but you got to listen. So... Here's Josh. We appreciate you listening. See you next time. All right. We are now joined by a very special guest, um, Josh Pate. You may have heard of him. He's way more successful than us, but also apparently down to earth because he started following me on Twitter um, and owns over nine separate MLK signed autographs. (laughs) Josh, welcome in. Thank you for reading the bio the way I sent it. Not everyone reads the bio. They may pronounce my last name Pate, but they will not talk about my collection. And in this post-Darren Ravel world, I want to be introduced the way I want to be introduced. Yeah. I, I mean, Makes a lot of fucking sense. right, man. Say it. I, one of the things that I, I brag about to this day is um, meeting the, uh, the guy from ATL. The, the, not like the main star, because I was TI, but his, uh, his sidekick. And I thought he was the black kid from Sister Act 2 that's saying, oh, happy day. And he informed me that he was not. And I really honestly have never overcome that. Would you say ATL, like on the scale of great underrated skating movies, where would you say that is? Ooh, Roll Bounce is up there. Yeah. I mean, it's a, at least a, a top nine. Airborne, <laughs> Airborne is clearly the number one. That stopped. The end, of, the end of this exchange was when my guy went top nine. <laughs> That's it. That's where you cap that one. That's beautiful. Yeah. Perfect. Well, uh, well, welcome into, we appreciate you joining us. Um, first off real quick, did we do, did we do a show together like six years ago? This is entirely possible. With Mallory Hagan. Oh my goodness. Tell me more about this. I know all the names so far that you're referencing. What did we do? First off, she's the love of my life. Um, sometimes. And, uh, we're probably going to get married because that's the best way to one up my uh, broken engagement. But apparently <laughs> like, I think it had to be like four or five years ago. I don't remember this, but it, uh, there was like something popped up on my Facebook and it was like Chris Marler, Mallory Hagan and Josh Pate. And I was like, I should not have been in that group. I don't know what was happening. At the very least, it sounds like a great Uber backseat. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And Darren Ravel though. Well, of course he's probably driving. <laughs> You guys um, are in the back seat. His MLK collection is in the front seat, and he's driving. You know he's wearing one of those stupid driver hats too, and probably gloves. That's absolutely. Oh <laughs> All right. Well, we're actually going to talk about some college football stuff, and also you working out because that was a shock to all of us uh, when you were in Indy, and we saw your bare arms for the first time next to Danny Cannell. So first and foremost, what's bigger, uh, your biceps or the gap between Georgia and the rest of the SEC East? Hmm. Well, I personally think that lighting and angle had a whole lot more to do with that than my personal workout routine. And so when it comes to the answer to this, I would probably still say Georgia. And Mm -hmm. ironically, I think Shane Beamer and Josh Heupel have more to say about this than I do. And so I encourage those guys to close that gap. But I'll tell you what I love. I love on-campus games during the season. But then when we get later in the season – I love when we can be indoors because then you don't have to dress in layers 
And I'm all about showing, I'm all about as much skin as possible in the playoffs. I've always believed in that, always have, always will. So I was happy to wear short sleeve shirts in early January, even though you couldn't because we were in Indianapolis. So it was like seven degrees outside. But when you walk in, it's game on. Yeah. So, Josh, you can tell from the pictures. Go ahead, Tyler. So, Josh, I've been a big fan of your content over there at Late Kick, and um, I, I was particularly drawn to an episode where you talked about kind of your your background of getting into this business. It's it's uh, kind of similar to both Chris and I. I mean, we were both doing other things before we we got into covering college football, and I do it on a part-time basis. Chris is already doing it full-time. So, for the listeners that haven't listened to that episode that you had, or heard you talk about your backstory, give a little uh, background about where you were. I don't know when it started for you, but where you were, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago and and how you got to where you are today. Well, it's a story that I try and tell um, several times a year because I think it, it's really important for people like me or even people like us who don't have like the traditional route into this industry and don't have an uncle who owns a four-letter media company. I think it's really important to have it out there. Because as you can clearly see with what you guys were able to do here, what I'm able to do with Late Kick and what many other folks have been able to do, there is a parallel sort of media ecosystem that's been given rise to in sports, in politics, like whatever you want, with people just kind of rejecting whatever the legacy version of media in their sphere has been. So I say all that to tee it up. Back in the day, I was down in Columbus, Georgia, and I was working in a fabric warehouse. I was a couple of years out of high school I had no clue what I wanted to do. I had no direction. I was one of those tweener kids that didn't grow up poor, but didn't grow up rich. So I I didn't necessarily have that hunger wired into me, but I also didn't have any big breaks that were just being handed to me. So I had no clue what I wanted to do. So I wasted away a couple of years in college, lost Hope Scholarship. And so instead of just wasting time in college, I said, I'm not going back until I understand what I'm doing and what I want. So I go and work in this fabric warehouse down in Columbus, no AC, middle of the summer down there. We're unloading freight trucks. And I would just listen to sports talk. It's every (laughs) bit as bad as it sounds. Trust me. (laughs) And so I would just listen to sports talk radio every day. Like that's the only way that you possibly get through an eight hour day in a fabric warehouse in Georgia. And I had no concept. Like I'm, I know it sounds hyperbolic when I say this, I had no concept that you could do what you loved for a living. I, I had it wired into me. Like where I come from, it's a little bit smaller version of America. I just thought you had to have this eight to five or nine to five. And then that stuff is the hobby. That's the kind of stuff you do on the weekends for fun. But slowly but surely, you know, there were a couple of events that happened in my life that got me back on track mentally. But I remember I used to badger the program director down at the local ESPN radio affiliate and badger him and badger him. I didn't want to be put on air. That was way out of my league. I just, I wanted to come in and observe. I've never seen live production done before. So he let me come in there and I was in there for about two months. And one day his co-host just almost shot him a ghost. It was like with five minutes advanced warning, he said, I'm not going to be in there today. So he had no time to pivot. He just puts me on air and we did three hours of afternoon drive there in Columbus. It was the middle of college Wait, football. What? Yeah. <laughs> afternoon drive? I get like, yes. Hold on. Caller, caller based, man. Like it was, it was call in too. Yeah. Live radio. So, wow. Um, with the FCC's fists clenched, that happened. I never got taken off though. We, I just stayed on air. And so I was working part time at ESPN radio. So then I get a call one day and I don't know the number. So naturally I send it to voicemail and it's, 
It's the general manager of the NBC affiliate, WLTZ there in Columbus, ironically, where I met Mallory Hagen. And he said, look, you've never met me, but I listen to you every day on my drive home when I leave the station. I like what you do. My sales general manager and I, we have been workshopping this idea. We want a weeknight college football show at like 10 o'clock at night. Will you do it? I said, I've never been on TV. Is that a problem? He said, of course not. <laughs> so yeah, they threw me on TV. Never been on there before. The first time I was ever in a studio, I was on live TV. And That's then he insane. also, they also wow. ended up making me the sports anchor there. I ended up becoming news anchor there. And, um, and it's crazy. That, like you're saying, you never got any breaks, like just, you know, like that's <laughs> beforehand. I had never gotten any breaks. Yes. Then the dominoes start falling. It gets better though. It gets way better. So, so I ended up elevating the news anchor there. And so I remember vividly, it was like 2015. You remember about the time Facebook started letting you do Facebook live and YouTube shortly thereafter, yeah. they started letting you do YouTube live. Well, I remember I was in our weather center one day with like our chief meteorologist and he was watching something on his screen after one of our 6 p.m. newscasts and it was someone else's forecast and I thought it was just like a web video, but I looked at it and it was on the Facebook interface and I realized that's live on this platform. What is this? I've never seen this. So he said, oh, it's Facebook Live. They let you do live broadcasting there now. So that was like a sledgehammer to my face. That was one of the biggest light bulb moments ever because I knew that's if that takes off, if those platforms are used as distribution mechanisms for anyone to broadcast live, that is it. Like that takes care of distribution. That takes care of overhead, which were the two barriers that always yeah. stood between anyone like us and making it big in this industry. And that day I started putting together a plan to develop what you see now. I did an independent version of it there. I didn't renew my contract. Instead, I agreed to work independent contract with them for pennies on the dollar of my salary. But here was the trade-off. They thought they had suckered me. So they were perfectly willing to give me three nights a week use of that studio for my own purposes. So wow. I promptly took that studio and ended up developing a YouTube channel. And we did Late Kick. Like, that's how I started it. And a couple of years later, Shannon Terry at 24-7 CBS called me up and said, uh, do what you're doing. Just come do it for us, please. And that's how I got here. It's incredible. Awesome. Yeah. How long I was going to say, it sounds exactly, exactly like us, um, just like with less efforts and, and way more portion control. But I mean, yeah, that's an incredible story, dude. Just, just a decade, just 12 years. But it's, it's, very, it's very fortuitous that it happened that way. Very fortuitous because here's the thing that I've noticed. And I know you guys have, I mean, you guys have been there just like I have. Like when you go to games, I don't know what it was like for you the first time you covered games. But when I walked in my first ever press box, this was like seven or eight years ago now, I was stunned uh, for a few reasons. I had always idolized all sports writers. And I had always looked up to all of these people in, in print and radio and TV. And I was, I would, I, some of them fulfilled all of my expectations, but a lot of them, I was very underwhelmed by the first hey. interactions I had. Uh, but here's the other thing I realized, and this was just me coming out of fantasy world and into the real world. I thought everyone who worked in this industry loved sports and they don't. I thought everyone, especially who covered college football, loved college football. And it was so shocking to me to walk in my first ever press box and realize these people just look like they're at a job. No different than I used to look when I walked in the fabric warehouse. Right. And then as you start immersing yourself in it, 
And I really think when we got into the whole pandemic a couple of years ago, a lot of folks really exposed the fact that they're not interested in covering sports. They're really looking for this as a vehicle to get them to where they really want to be, which is probably more in the political realm. If you want to do that, that's fine. But I was just shocked. But here's what I realized, and I think a lot of other people realized, is just that. As folks expose themselves, there is this parallel ecosystem of other options, of alternatives now. And I think that's why so many of the products like ours have been able to grow in relatively short periods of time. It's because you have more and more people searching than you ever could have thought possible before. Yeah, what I've been impressed by with you is because you, you, you do a, a show, what, at least three times a week, right? Yeah, it's uh, thrice. I, I choose to say thrice per week, and then we bring it down to just biweekly during this time of year. You, you can tell your passion for the sport, uh, and I don't know if that is in sports in general. I follow you on Twitter. I think you're a Braves fan, so it seems like uh, maybe you're into some other sports as well. But you, your passion for college football shines through on your show because you've got an amazing amount of energy every single episode, three times a week, thrice a week, all through the college football season. It's incredible. So I just want to hat tip to you because it's not easy. Uh, I, I can't imagine doing it that often and keeping that energy for the sport. But think about this. Like to me, it, it's hard work to master a craft. Yes, that's true. But it's so infinitely easier if you've ever worked a real job. If you've ever actually gotten dirt under yeah. your fingernails, this is the easiest thing in the world because you're doing what you used to only think was possible as like a break. This Mm -hmm. was my break. This is what you do for fun. And then all of a sudden someone comes along and says, what if I told you you could do this for a living? It doesn't even seem real. I've never gotten used to that, by the way, that has never set in for me. And I, you know, like full disclosure, I got a contract coming up in May. So I field a lot of phone calls from a lot of different people, from a lot of companies that I used to only observe from afar And that's all so surreal to me. You got to take that off and put on a business hat, obviously. But it's all so surreal to think that your earnings potential or your exposure or anything like that is even a thought in your mind relative to where you used to be. Because like I was just a fan and still am. They just happen to put a microphone in front of your face now. Crazy. It's a good story. And I was telling Chris before you got on that uh, I'm a big fan of a lot of your takes about college football. And I noticed um, you tweeted out a clip of uh, Kirby Smart talking about his worry about the future of college football and where things may be headed. And so for those that didn't see that, kind of reiterate his message, I think. And I just kind of want to get your take on what he was saying in that clip that you tweeted out today. Well, he was talking to Reese Davis after they won the national title. I think it was the next morning. And so he was just talking about how he's concerned about the direction the sport's heading pretty rapidly. This is not slowly evolving this way. It's pretty rapidly changing year over year. And what he was essentially saying is with the influx of having to worry about the portal, having to worry about NIL and so much new, like there's no expert on this right now. We are not experts. We as coaches, we are not experts. It's all new. He said, we're losing coaches. Coaches are leaving the college game. They don't want anything to do with it. Uh, because the reward is not worth all the trouble and they're going to the pro game or they're just leaving the game. Now, Mm -hmm. you can get two different reactions to that. You got the crowd out there that is beyond help, probably, who just says, well, too bad. You're making a lot of money. Deal with it. Like like money solves everything. It just all of a sudden gives you 29 hours in a day if you make 10 million a year. You got that (laughs) crowd. And then you got the more reality-based crowd that can have a nuanced conversation about that. 
you have a problem is the bottom line. Whatever you feel about it, you have a problem at the baseline of your sport if good people are leaving your sport because of the current state of your sport. I think if a lot more people can agree on that, then you can start going down the roads of what needs to be fixed, how do we fix it, etc. Yeah, I, I mean, and I agree with that. I think um, uh, it's it's tough to see where it's headed because there's not one governing body that has any real power in the situation. I mean, the NCAA, right. to, to me, seems like it's kind of almost – it's going to be extinct at some point in terms of governing what's going on with college football. And, it, it you know, there's not there's not a governing body, like you mentioned, that's, that's sitting here saying, okay – Yes, the the players need to be paid, but you can't have Texas A&M over here spending fifty million, while you know, who you know, name school X over here can only afford to pay five million, or Alabama's got fifty off-field coaches that are focused on recruiting, and you know, UNC has ten. Like that, that is kind of where I, I get a little balanced. bit worried about where things are headed with with football right now. And I don't know I don't who can even- fix it. Yeah, I, well, me is the answer if they'll elect me. But short of that, I don't know. But I don't really think even people who understand it's a mess know how big a mess it is. Here's yeah. what happened. The, my theory on this is the NCAA was used to being immune from criticism for a long time. And I, if you'll notice, over about the past, let's say, three to five years, I don't know why it's happened like this. Anyone can have their own theories. But over the past three to five years, I think there has been so much more criticism thrown the way of the NCAA, not just by fans, but like by commissioners and coaches and everyone else. People have just felt more emboldened to do that. Those people are not used to that. It's the equivalent of like turning over a rock and watching what happens under the rock when the light is shown there. There's a lot of panic. There's a lot of scurrying. And the NCAA has acted the exact same way. And here's what they did. Instead of saying, let's have discussions. Okay, let's start going down this road. They didn't do that at all. They were, they were the uncle who comes over and gives your kid candy canes and Red Bull, as I said the other day, and then he leaves at nine o'clock. And it's your job to take care of a supercharged kid. The NCAA <laughs> said, transfer a portal in NIL. It's a go. And I don't think people realize this part. They said that and didn't even give state legislatures time to get on the same page to where we had Texas A&M quite literally operating under different laws than the University of Alabama and Auburn were right. this past year. Because that's how little foresight went into the changes that were handed down in NIL and whatnot. So that is a total mess. Then people ask, what's the answer? I don't necessarily know what the answer is. I just think I know the answer is not counting on them to get it right. I think that Here's how I said it today on another show. I am confident 10 years from now, the SEC will be around in whatever version of itself it is. I am not confident whatsoever the NCAA will be around in any discernible version. So to me, I'd start looking more towards the mega conferences to legislate themselves and to just say, you know, let's elbow you on out of here. We're bigger than you now. We don't need you anymore. Like, I think that's the route it's probably going. And then that gets murky because you probably... You're going to want to take a shower if you're a traditionalist after I say this, but you're probably talking about collective bargaining from the player side of things at that point. You're Mm -hmm. talking about revenue distribution from TV deals as a part of that because you have got to have a mechanism to get an equilibrium back in this game instead of what it is right now, which is just pure insanity. Yeah, it's it's refreshing to hear you say that because one – 
when all this was happening, it, I felt like uh, this is a very dated reference, but you guys ever see that I Love Lucy clip where she's at the chocolate factory? Jesus, what are we doing here? It was from the 50s. <laughs> Whatever. It's the best example I can think of right now. Basically, I, like when, <laughs> when all of this shit started happening, I was like, oh my God, I'm in way over my head and I can't keep up with all this. And then it's like, now that all of it is like, it's a free for all and chaotic nonstop. I feel like some of our peers are also um, not being, being able to stay on top of things as well. So it made me feel a lot better. That's the illusion. The illusion was all the coaches will just have it together. And there's gotta be, there's gotta be some Svengali in every single athletic department that is a know-all on every one of these issues. And that was the big illusion. When you peek behind the curtain, these people are terrified. They're, they are running around like chickens with their head cut off. They have no clue what the rules are, just like the rest of us. I'll tell you the people who have benefited the most is like intellectual property lawyers, any kind of lawyer that like actually speaks this language that the rest of us are just now starting to have to learn because we never thought we need it for college football. Those are the people who all of a sudden found a great lane, not just in college football media, you can get athletic departments to hire you. Forget about talking about it. You can just go be it. It's incredible. Chris, what's up? Um, all right. So uh, I was actually talking. So, so we both live in Atlanta. And so a lot of Georgia fans around here. And um, I was kind of having a discussion with some, some Georgia fans recently about how, um, you know, even though Kirby is an alum of Georgia, I wouldn't see him going anywhere else. That it's going to be tough to replicate what Saban and, and some of his predecessors have done with these dynasties because I think that you see a lot of coaches burn out in the current form. Now, if things change and you're not having to constantly, because right now you, you have to recruit high schoolers that range from anywhere from ninth grade to senior year, the JUCO market, the transfer portal, you have to recruit your own players. Um, and you know you go to the NFL. You've you've got months off. You've got you can be with your family when you're not at the facilities. I just don't know. I don't know if you'll see uh, a coach that will make a run like a, a Saban run or a you know a Paterno or a Bowden or something like that. First off, even if you kept the structure static to what it was ten years ago, I don't think you'd see anyone make this run. I don't. I know Nick Saban is appreciated, but here's what I've always looked at it through the lens of when I was growing up down in Columbus. So that's like right on the border of Alabama. So there's a lot of Auburn fans, Bama fans, Georgia fans. It's a nice, it's a very underrated market to work in if you like college football. Anyway, so I'm growing up there and I was born after Paul Bryant already passed away. So I would hear stories about Bear Bryant, but I never got to see him. And so, you know, he's like lionized and deified the more the years go by that you're removed from him being alive. And I remember thinking to myself how crazy it is that like my dad or, or a sports writer, a local sports writer in town, they were alive. They got to go to games and like see him in person. Or if you're a sports writer, you actually sat in the same room with him and covered him in person. Well, I always remember thinking about that as purely past tense. That is a bygone era. They will always talk about him as the greatest of all time. Lo and behold, this guy comes along, rewrites every record book in this sport. He's got like I think the number is 15 more first round draft picks at this point than losses at Alabama. Which <laughs> yeah, is just, I don't even know really, how to, how does that compute? How does yeah, that, you doesn't. count the season, you're even counting a season when he lost to UL Monroe. So that's happening present day. I don't know how much people appreciated Bryant when he was alive because I wasn't there to experience it. But 
people can call me a Bama homer or like a Saban lackey all you want to. I just know we get one shot at being around the greatest of all time. And we are in the midst of it right now. Like when I'm in a room, Saban's in, I've had him on my show a couple of times. That is a pinnacle of a career, no matter how long the career lasts. I could do this 30 years and not top how my career has started because it is overlapped with being around the greatest of all time. So you can talk about burnout and how much the sport's changing. I don't even think it would happen if it didn't change, but especially because it is changing the way it is. I, I think he looks at it and probably says, I'm glad I'm on the backside of my career. Yeah, I think yeah. other coaches look at it and say, I don't even know what the sport's going to be five years from now. So I certainly can't project how long I'm going to do this. So yeah, Chris's hair. Chris's hot take, I don't know if it's, I don't, I actually agree with him in some regards is that, you know, if and when Bama wins the championship next year, because they've got, you know, arguably the best QB, best defensive player. Arguably. What, um, what are you talking They're well, fucking I mean, loaded you know, next year. Loaded. All right, all right. All right. All right. That's fair. Um, that, that Saban may hang it up. Um, so let's just say Chris is right and he hangs it up. So this is a hypothetical, obviously. If he, if he retires, who do you think would be the front runner oh, for that God. job? so we're doing this okay i'm gonna go really off the radar with you right now i was talking to someone kind of close to the program about this the other night i don't know if it would be next year so this timeline's off Mm -hmm. i want you to watch D'Amico ryan's closely because D'Amico ryan's name is really rocketing up the nfl ranks some someone the other day asked hey do we think you could get D'Amico at bama as defensive coordinator and the response is, yeah. no, fool. Head coach is the only thing he's going to come here for. He's not there yet. Like, I don't think if Saban mm-hmm. were to throw up the deuces today, I don't think he's there yet. But if you give that a couple more years, there are people in the NFL who fully believe D'Amico Ryans is going to have NFL head coaching offers very soon. And so wow. if Alabama came open and it was a classic mama calls situation, I think a guy who wasn't on any radars a few years ago could end up being a candidate there because i don't buy that the Dabo stuff is going to be nearly as as hot and heavy as people no. think it would be look i also not now uh, let me toss it over there to you marler i mean let's just say Dabo's on the market how crazy are you about that i think a lot of folks have cooled on that i as just from my own personal like how i live my life every day and and the words that come out of my mouth and my i don't want to say morals and values or, or lack thereof I would be fucking miserable. It would be fucking awful if Dabo, because like, sure, he's a great coach, but first off, just as like somebody that played sports and like an athlete growing up, if I'm getting ready for a game, I I don't want to hear some, I don't want to hear my coach saying heck to get me amped up for one. <laughs> like I just, no, I, I just don't. It just, everything seems so fake and fabricated. I just, I would be, I would be very upset. What, I don't think Debo, look, here's the, here's the way I view him. Like I, I have the same spiritual beliefs as Debo Swinney. I don't, yes, I don't use, I don't, I don't use profanity either. I'm a Joe Gibbs type of guy, but oh, what I would good. do is I would have a muscle that was responsible for pregame. I'm going to say, bye, I'm going to see you guys on the field and I'm going to let him get you ready. Cause mm-hmm. there is a certain thing that needs to be injected into a locker room before a game. And I understand that. And I can't count on all you getting yourselves up. So I'm going to have my guy over here. But secondly, I don't think he's nearly as fake as he is foreign to understanding how to present himself publicly. I yeah. think if you and I sat down with him in a room right now, we'd see a different version of him and we would come to realize, oh, 
He's just been kind of confused on how to present himself publicly. And he probably feels that a lot of media out there covers him in an adversarial nature. And I think there's some validity to that, by the way. I yeah. just think he I just think he does a poor job sometimes of reading the room and understanding how to project himself. You know, so even even with like his success and like his rise as a coach, it's like he almost never got out of the small town. Like he grew up in like backwoods, backwoods, Alabama. And then like in like the story of like even him becoming a coach, it was pretty similar to him like being a player because he's a walk on, ends up getting, you know, like he had start, but like wins a national championship in 92. But like he was the receivers coach at Clemson. People forget that. Like when Tommy Bowden was fired and then he made that jump and he's been super successful. I just, and he wasn't that great on the front end of that contract. He like the first three years, I think he was like on the doorstep of getting fired, like right. pretty much very close to it. I, well, I think he got, he, they, they kept him on because he was such a nice guy. Like, like Clemson's a different world, like going to games there and stuff like that. It's, it's my favorite atmosphere I've ever been to for like a big game. But like they say a prayer before the game, which I have nothing against at all. Um, and I wish that you would have told me you didn't uh, say cuss words before you came on here. But also <laughs> like, you know, like it's just a different, different world, which is it's it's cool and unique to their own you know traditions. But I just don't feel like he's tried to put himself in a position to evolve with the like with the sport of like where it's heading. And, and I feel like he's just kind of assumed like, you know what, like we, we're, we've been successful, like we're going to be successful. You know, people have been counting little Clemson out for however long, like we don't need to do all these things. Like they just got their first player from the transfer portal, right? Yeah. And it was, was a guy, guy that was, was already, already there. Clemson. That's right. <laughs> they, that, I'm not crazy. He was already there, right? Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. That's, that's no, but I, got, I'm, I, I got my eye on Clemson because I think it's very <laughs> interesting that they had basically both coordinators – left at the same time the ad mm -hmm. left Dabo refuses to take transfers I, I just i wonder what's going on i i think he's the first coach that's gonna get burnt out uh, out of the major ones it seems Mullen. like he's already there i feel Here's like the that was like all all happening like you know that kind of led to his his demise when you talk to coaches they all think clemson screwed they all yeah. do Wow. Now, that wouldn't really rub Dabo the wrong way because all he would tell you is, well, I've been doubted before. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's just let it fuel us again. But you do not, unless you're Nick Saban, you do not replace an athletic director and both coordinators who have been rocks, like pillars of the program. Yeah. I don't care if you lose one of them, that would be tough. They are not loaded like people think they're loaded. They're not even loaded at quarterback. Like DJ, no. DJ is not. I don't think DJ is going to be a guy who ever fulfills on his immense recruiting star ranking potential and knowing the company I work at, I will still say that. And so I, I think people need to be ready for a transitional period at Clemson. They got to reinvent themselves there. But also, here's the other part of that. Is it even going to matter? We just watched Wake versus no. Pitt. We didn't watch Miami or Florida State or even North Carolina. The most golden opportunity ever in the history of this game that was missed was North Carolina this year. Like, think about how hyped they were preseason. If I were to have told you, hey, number one, Sam Howell's not going to get hurt. He's going to play the whole year, and yeah. Clemson's not even going to play for the conference title, you would have penciled them into the playoff, and right. they didn't even play for the conference title. So it's a very weird situation over there right now. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a Florida State alum, and I'm, I'm pretty concerned about just where the whole conference is headed in general. Um, it definitely feels like – and it doesn't help when you got – 
you know, Pitt and Wake playing in your conference title game, but you know, they, they there's no ratings on their title game, and and it doesn't seem like a ton of the schools are totally committed, in, including my own alma mater, totally committed to being all in on the on the sport. Um, I just worry about kind of the future of where the whole conference is headed. Honestly, I think I would be worried that at any given moment, Greg Sankey is not done snatching programs up. I know it's it feels like it's been forever since the Oklahoma Texas thing happened. That was within the past calendar year, and no one inside any kind of industry associated with this sport thinks that the SEC is done expanding. Uh, it probably expedites that process when Jim Phillips and the ACC are fighting what I think is the good fight, which is anti-playoff expansion. Well, whether I think that or not, the other folks who unfortunately have more power in the room are pro-expansion, and I would just worry that I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and I look at my iPhone and I see Miami, Florida State, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia Tech, like some form of my conference has just shot out the back door overnight because the Big 12 had to find out through media reports. So you're not going to have a heads up either. Right. Yeah. Do you, you, but you don't think that grant of rights is a huge, uh, I guess, block to that? Because I know that's the, kind of the big thing. Yes, I think it is. But I also think there are so many different mechanisms and different moving parts in this stuff that I would not be shocked at all if we read that headline and then everyone's first reaction was your reaction. And then some lawyer came out on a network and said, actually, here's how they're wiggling around that. Actually, Mm -hmm. here were all the things that were happening. Here are the chess moves that just happened to make all this possible. I don't pretend to know how that works. That is alphabet soup to me. I just assume that when enough money is on the line, some people in suits that are worth more than my life can work it out. I, well, you'd be surprised. Um, and also, like, maybe next time, like, Sankey, if you're listening, like, just give us a heads up, man. Like, to drop that shit, like, on Wednesday of media days in like, the middle of an 80-hour work week was not my favorite. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, like, I, I think you're, you're spot on with what you're saying, too. Like, I, like it, it's, it's honestly... Like, I, I don't, I'm not just saying this because he's in the SEC and that's the company I work for. We, we prop up that conference more than anything. But like it, this entire season and the way last year played out too with the Big Ten trying to go rogue and, and cancel the entire season. Then you talk about the NCAA, which, you know, you, you brought up like the uncle reference. To me, it seemed like they've been like, like the dad that catches his kids smoking. He's like, you know what? Smoke the whole pack. I don't care. I'm, I don't like, and then just sat back like watching them further damage themselves like it was some kind of punishment but like it's kind of brought up to me like the question of like is anybody good at their job it really is is a low bar right now yeah it really is an (laughs) extremely low bar it's got to be fascinating i can't imagine being in his seat him being greg sankey i can't imagine being him last year and looking around and saying wait are you serious this isn't a joke you guys are really willing not to play football this year are you serious I I don't even, how do you respond to that? Because you just assume everyone at the table of college football on a scale of one to 10 is at least a 10 when it comes to something as basic as uh, doing everything in their power to put a product on the field. And then all of a sudden when you see they aren't, and then when you get in the room or you're on the phone with them and you realize these people don't have multi-layered, like very, very intuitive thoughts and discussions that have happened about this. They're just kind of going by the seat of their pants and they don't think anyone's going to push back on it. They're trying to, we're in the middle of an election season. Like who knows what's going on with that? I, I think he read the room at that point and said, 
I could own this country by like 2023 if I wanted to. I, I will never forget being on one of those calls and one of our listeners, and she was like a source, she was the director of specialty media in, in the White House. And so, you know, we kind of watched this whole thing behind the scenes for a while. And I'm sure part of it's propaganda and an election year, all that kind of stuff. But I'll never forget her saying to me that Trump called, what's it, Kevin Warren and, yeah. and verbatim said, any amount of resources you need. It, it like nothing is off the table. Nothing is out of question. It like, like absolutely any, any resource you need, name it. We're going to make football season happen. And Kevin Warren, for whatever reason, was like, oh, shit. All right. Yeah. I guess we're going to do this. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> that was a chore. It was really a chore to get that product on the field. I, I still think that is like a fever dream that you have to get 10 years removed from before yeah. you can tell that story and like realize, oh, that did happen. We were in the middle of an election season and the commissioner of the Big Ten and presidents were on board with scrapping a season and the sitting president of the United States called right. and then forced their hand. He for The president at the time <laughs> forced the Big Ten to play football. <laughs> yes, that's this is this all happened. Like, yeah. okay. <laughs> It's incredible. Like I remember sitting on the call, like like with Wolken and all these like other people that are actually good at their job. And then it was like Chris Marler sat down south, and I was like, "Why the fuck am I on this call right now?" But it was amazing. Like you could hear like almost like the groans coming from from Wolken and stuff. Like I mean, it was it was hilarious. But anyway, listen, we know you got to get out of here. Um, I, I don't want to do the time zone math, but it seems like it's close to being Thursday where you are. So. <laughs> We're going to do a quick two minute drill, just rapid fire questions. Um, you know, just say what's in your heart. Um, unless it's about like MLK autographs. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Probably All not, right. but go ahead anyway. First question. What's your favorite college football stadium? LSU. Yeah. Very good answer. Very good answer. Um, better town, Columbus or LaGrange. I didn't lose the feed. I'm just thinking. Um, if this is a weekend, it's LaGrange weekday. I can make Columbus work better. Okay. It's a trick question. They're the same fucking town. Um, <laughs> next, next question. Uh, hold on. Least favorite gym person or cliche. All right. So, uh, this is going to take a while. So just sit back and relax. <laughs> Love it. So we just got into the new year, right? So you have what I call the resolutionists close cousins of the expansionists. Uh, they, they both have no clue what they're talking about. So right. the resolutionist comes in. This is classic curl in the squat rack guy. But here's the other bad thing that's happened. I just experienced this guy today. The other thing that's happened, there is this, this god-awful confluence of events in time where sports betting has become legal in Tennessee, and it's now been a full year. And so a lot of people here are betting for the first time. So you've got parlay guy, <laughs> who talks on his earbuds during his workout guy, who is now mixed with does curls in the squat rack guy. And I'm in the gym today and I am listening to a guy who is curling maybe 55 pounds in the squat rack. And he is talking about how big a lock a five team parlay is this weekend in the NFL. And I'm looking at him. It, it, it is stunned amazement that that kind of person has made it this far in life. Yeah, that tracks. I was going to say old, old naked guy. I don't know what it is about when you get like 80 years old, but just 
everything's out. Just everything's out and just dragging you know what to the floor. I, you know what else I noticed? There is a lot of full frontal male nudity at the gym I go to. And Too a lot much. of it is a lot of it is seasoned citizens, if you will. But the worst part is how sudden they turn. So you call yeah. their name. It's like, hey, Jeff. And it's not turn <laughs> smack. <laughs> yeah, like like that. Uh, honestly, the amount of like how comfortable they are. Like if you're just sitting with like a foot up like on the bench and you're having a conversation with me, are you like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That is, it's really amazing. It's amazing. And then they'll put their shorts on to go to the urinal, but then they'll go out the bottom of the shorts. Spot on. Oh my God. That's spot on. Yeah. Honestly, just geriatric dick is kind of why I fell out of shape. That's, that's honestly the main reason I'll I'll blame it on that. Okay. Next question. Cause you're, you're 35, right? Yes. Okay, so you're the same age as us, so you can answer yep. this, and it's not weird. Hottest Disney princess? I think Ariel. Ario? Ooh. <laughs> Ari- Ooh. Ario. Okay, all right. The answer was Jasmine. That's good. Um, let's I see here. She didn't, she didn't have it from the waist down like Ariel did. That fin is incredible. <laughs> I don't it know. Is. I, I will say, like, Jasmine Jasmine was built like a Kardashian before it was cool, <laughs> so I'll just say that. Um, okay, so bucket list concert. Uh, I actually, so I would love to have seen Fleetwood Mac in the 1970s. I would love to have seen them in the late seventies. I'm huge on Fleetwood Mac. I got to see them in like 2000, whatever. Uh, it was good. It was still the full lineup, but there is no current touring act that is on my bucket list to see. And you can try and change my mind on that. I'm open to it, but all of my bucket lists are probably dead or either in a state where it would disappoint me to see them live. Kirk Herbstreet said, uh, what did he say? Luke Bryan? I yeah, about, he said Luke Bryan. I about walked what is the, the matter with him? They live in the same neighborhood. What is he yes. talking about? Like, Josh, I cannot stress to you this enough. Like, I, I went to school in Milledgeville, Georgia. Luke Bryan, before Capital he was Capital City. Big, is, that, is, that, is it Capital City? Yes. He I used was to go there, there all the time. At, I used to see him all the time in Milledgeville. Like, every other weekend. Yeah. Kirk, I just, yeah, I was very disappointed in Kirk about that. Okay. Um, go to Chick-fil-A order if you eat fast food. Yeah, that's a number one. And so that's the nugs. And then I get, depending on my uh, stomach, I will get an extra just regular spicy chicken sandwich on the side. Yeah. Do you eat it all at once? Or do you like, yeah. I, I pretend that I'm going to save it for later. And then I just go eat it in the, like, like in the bed. bed I don't know how people <laughs> save it for later. I've, I've wanted to save it for later. I don't know how that's possible. But the thing about Chick-fil-A is you, no matter how many nuggets you ordered me, I would eat all of them. Yeah. I feel like I would eat 16 or 60 and it would feel the same to me. It, you're that's weird, but I, I totally agree with that. Love that. Um, okay. We got like five more, uh, favorite college football media member and, or Twitter follow. This is not mm. like, you know, we're not fishing for compliments here. I know that I'm everybody's favorite. So besides us, I love Joe Tessitore and I was at the national championship game and an unmentioned media member comes up to me afterwards and he's talking to me. He says, Hey man, I love the show. I said, really? said, yeah, Tess put me on to it. So not only is Joe Tessitore wow. really good on the mic, but he is actively marketing my show free of charge. So Joe Tessitore is the man. Love that. Um, who would win in a fight, Coach O or Jordan Davis? I think if we hold this on the street, Jordan Davis takes it. Ooh. But I think if Coach O names the venue, it becomes a lot more competitive. Okay. Yeah, I like that answer. Um Okay, a couple of weeks back, uh, you said that Mario Cristobal would not go to Miami because it wasn't a good enough job uh, as Oregon. 
and you were wrong. Um, I said he was going to end up at LSU, so we all have our bad takes. What was your worst take of the season or the worst take you heard from anyone else in the media? Oh, man. Um, this would take some research for the second part. I think the Miami or uh, like I think the crystal ball one was worse for me because I was so emphatic. I was so proud of my point. I clipped it and put it out on my own social channels. And then it was just like watching Double Dare back in the day. It was the giant pie at the end of the show that comes in your face on like the, the pie coaster. And so when I when that happened, I told our staff, we are not running from this. It will only lead to worse trauma. I'm going to have to own it. And so I went, I sent one of our interns to buy some poster board and I got a big Sharpie and I just wrote like, I was wrong. You were right. You guys are smart. I'm dumb. You're attractive. I'm not good looking. I did like the whole, the whole Billy, happy, happy Gilmore Billy Madison. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Um, I don't know what my voice I still think that that could go down in flames though. There was a Twitter spaces last night that I tuned into of uh, this like big prominent Miami booster. That's kind of the re one of the reasons why crystal ball went down there. And he was openly talking about how he was going to be paying players. And it was like, so off the rails. <laughs> Like, they think like, that they're going to gentrify an entire neighborhood to build a stadium. <laughs> like, does everyone understand how ill-conceived some of these plans are? That was, by the way, the same space that Ravel came in and had his personal yeah, meltdown yes. on. Yes. Nice. Oh, my God. Um, Is okay. it so wrong for a white man to like black history? That's what he was asking <laughs> in the in the space. And then, just... he, then he put the cap on it and he said, there was a pause, and he said, you got me? <laughs> Jesus. Did anybody record this? Yes, yes I'm gonna yes, send you the video. It's okay. Yeah, it's um, okay. Would you rather be stuck in Indy without a coat outside the stadium for three hours, or in an elevator with Dan Wolken for the same amount of time? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll take the hard nipples. I'll just freeze. Yeah, fair enough. Um, should I be allowed to see the dogs? Does he know what that is? It doesn't matter. It's a yes or no question. It's a very simple answer here. A lot of points are going to be awarded here. Maybe I don't know what we're talking about. We, we, you know, yeah. Just, you, I'll tell you off air. But okay. the answer was yes. It, was an it is yes? yes. Okay, it's a yes. All right, I'll, I'll lowercase yes answer that. More <laughs> impressive: Danny Cannell's turtleneck collection or Darren Ravel's MLK collection. Final question from Tyler. Yeah, this is because of the historic nature of the MLK collection. I've got to go with Ravel's collection. And here's the other part: Danny Cannell, having been around him a little bit now. He could handle losing this debate. If oh, you yeah. were to tell Darren Ravel his collection is trash <laughs> oh uh, after he painted racist on your forehead, <laughs> he would be done for like a solid two weeks. He would just go into voluntary confinement, not to be confused with solitary confinement. <laughs> that would be voluntary <laughs> confinement. Uh, DK like is it. the best, too. He's a friend of the show. We, lo we love DK. Great guy. Great guy. All right, let me add these up real quick. It is... Um... Well, the lowercase yes was not great, but uh, 69 points, that's a thats a new high score. Nice. Very nice. Josh, <laughs> thank you so much, man. We, we really enjoyed it and, um, and talking about how fucking awful the NCAA is, uh, how great Columbus is, and it's not the same town as LaGrange. Um, tell everyone where they can find you, obviously, on your much, much bigger show. Actually, you know what? Don't, because, you know, we don't want to lose any more of our audience. Well, this is an on-demand society. So the great thing is yep. they can watch me. And then afterwards, if they want more, you know, for dessert, they can come over to you. That's right. 
don't know I'll why allow you're it. Course, but I mean, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. No, man, we really appreciate it. You're great at what you do, man. Keep up the great work, and uh, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, appreciate it, guys.